I guess first things first, before we even take a look at what we should anticipate in the year ahead, how would you describe 2023 for your members at Zaki, especially those who happen to be within the retail space? Well, I think that it was a very mixed year. Uh, as you would recall, uh, you know, the economy was not growing at the level where the economy ought to have been growing. We saw a lot of data points that were coming out, whether it was Stats SA, whether it was the Department of Labor and many other economists showing that the issue of uh, joblessness was worsening, so it wasn't getting better. And I think that with interest rate, with the interest rate cycle obviously being adverse and inflation and the Tharp trying to control that inflation rate, it means there wasn't sufficient uh, disposable income. Uh, to fuel the real economy, because I think that in the final analysis, we need to be able to appreciate that when your interest rates are as high as they are in South Africa at this particular point in time, where the economy itself is not growing, you tend to then fuel mostly what we refer to as the fire sector. So most people's disposable income goes into financing obligations, be it your bond on your car, whatever the case might be, on your house or your installment on your car. Uh, any personal loans that you have, credit cards, that kind of stuff, and then real estate, basically accommodation-related type costs. And then, uh, you, you know, you end up in an environment where sometimes whatever is little that is left for you because of the lack of uh, uh, adequate uh, public transport that is affordable, people are spending a huge amounts of money in, in the transportation sector as well. And that money isn't actually going into the productive sector where we can make goods, and create services that you can sell to people. So if you don't have employment in the in the in the in the economy, uh, you're not going to have disposable income. Therefore, you're not going to have sufficient income that is driving the economy. Hundred percent. And you're raising such a valid point in that Mukoki, because many studies have revealed that even through Black Friday and the festive season, South Africans were spending on the basics, groceries, uh, items that are necessary for their homes, for their livelihood, transport costs, which have proven to be quite significant. Help us understand through the survey that you conducted with your members, what tone does this set uh, with regard to trade activity, especially for the first block of 2024? Well, look, there is a level of optimism. I think quite a number of our members in, uh, feel that things are going to change, you know. But of course, we're South Africans, we tend to live a lot on hope. And it's not like there are other opportunities anywhere else in the world. You know, it's been a very difficult global environment with a war in, uh, in, uh, in, in Ukraine. Uh, it has stunted any growth opportunities throughout Europe because Europe itself has been struggling with uh, the idea of energy. And quite a number of those economies, they themselves, started to struggle with economic growth and some actually were going into recession. So it, it's not like there was a place where you can actually go. You know, I know that as South Africans, we like sometimes to threaten each other a lot, mm. that if things don't improve here, we're going to live and go elsewhere. There isn't actually the elsewhere that we always think it's there. It doesn't exist, right? It's very tough out there. Mm. It's tough in the global environment, yet we do accept that quite a, a, a possibility where many foreign organizations would come and invest in South Africa. If we don't create that lesser environment that is supportive, we suffer because we can't get and attract those levels of capital that we should attract. And by levels of capital, you don't necessarily just mean people want to invest yes. in the JSE and then we calculate that as part of capital. We mean people who can come and put in investment in the ground, build plant, uh, uh, transfer skills, uh, develop 
uh, activity that actually really does uh, contribute significantly mm. to exports. It contributes uh, uh, significantly to our substituting quite a number of the things that we're importing when we can actually make those things ourselves. Um, you know, beneficiating a lot of our minerals as well as our agro products. So there are many, many, many opportunities in terms of the things that can be done, but we do need to have the right environment. And the right environment is not only that that is only political, you know, because people always want to put so much stock. Almost 90% of the risk is supposedly lying in the politics. It isn't. Mm. It's lying in the era of whether our own economy is developing and creating the necessary level of skills mm. and competencies. Because anyone wants to invest in your country, they check that first. Okay, what's the issue around labor efficiency? Labor efficiency does not necessarily mean what people always think it means, that our labor costs are cheap. There is no such a thing as a labor cost that is cheap. Labor cost is related to productivity, and that's why we refer to it as labor efficiency. So in other words, you can pay very high salaries, provided the production that's coming out of that labor force is at a very, very high level level with high-value-added production. 100%. So in the final analysis, you also can't build an economy with cheap labor and cheap cost because that's not growing the economy either. A hundred percent. I'm glad you allude to that, but many might also say, well, it's the government of the day that influences the economic policy and that economic policy then speaks to the efficiency of labor, of uh, cities, of the land and other factors of production that might be required. Uh, how do you view this, especially given that we headed to the budget speech, we headed to elections and for so long, yeah. fiscal consolidation has been the theme yeah. of the day? Yeah, you know, Kuku, it, it is a thing. I think that we do need to have a mindset change. You, you know, there are people like Professor Carol Dweck. Uh, I think she operates out of MIT who begin to challenge these ideas and she, she's very much strong in this idea of a growth mindset. People who've got a growth mindset see possibilities. Mm-hmm. They don't just stop and say, someone else actually made me not to do something. They think the bug stops with me. There are only 400 people in parliament. Uh, it, it's a society of more than 65 million people. Why is it that 60 million people think that 400 people can actually solve our problems? Mm. We need to change that mindset that makes us to believe that our solutions are actually going to come from politics. I'm not aware of any successful developing country anywhere else in the world where 100% of the activity in terms of progression going forward and development is actually driven by politics. I think that it's us people in private sector, it's us people in civil society who need to change our mindset to say, but the buck back stops with me. Yep. The, the back stops with people like Kuku. You are the young people who are talented in this particular country. The only difference is not so much that you lack confidence. The only difference is that you have not necessarily taken advantage of the opportunity to say, but this is my country. Mm. And I'm going to organize a hundred Kukus out there and we're going to sit down and we're going to just look at one idea. Forget about a thousand ideas, mm. right? One idea or two ideas. What are we going to do to make the change? And the talent is there. So we just need to change the mindset. And let's forget about the politics. I mean, a lot of the people are tired there. Some are old. I don't necessarily think that you're going to get much from politics. They've done the, the best that they can. Yeah. But the movement is going to come from all of us in private as well as civil society, especially the young people in this particular country who are amazingly talented. 100%. I appreciate that vote of confidence in our youth and, and, and as you say, finding and adapting and implementing those innovative ideas. I guess this also comes back to a question that is typically thrown to the business community to say, but hold on, all businesses have been complaining about load shedding, transnet freight rail and many other concerns and even threatening uh, to take out their capital um, and stop investing. Is that how do you respond to that narrative? And I guess what's what's the sentiment around that? Well, it is true because you know you know this level of development that we're talking about. You know, in in it is suggested. I mean, in, in, that 
the biggest weakness all of us can ever have is to lack self-awareness. Yes. I think that for a very, very long time, we've accepted that this is, that actually is questionable the, of the asymmetry of skills and competences between the public and private sector. And people always assume that in the private sector, we've got all the skills uh, that are so wonderful that can actually solve the complex problems of South Africa. That is not actually always so. In a number of cases, we find that even private sector leaders who, are, who know how to build a bridge, who know how to calculate a ratio, who know how to mix a chemical, they actually don't know how to solve the socio-economic challenges that are facing South Africa. Mm-hmm. They are all sitting in a silo environment, only interested in running my bank. I just want to make the ROE and the ROA mm-hmm. and, and the return and the, and, the, and the weighted average cost of capital. But they don't think. What am I going to do around the issue of gender equality so that we can get these women to have a lot of money so they can drive the economy? What's happening in Alexander? You're not going to find a significant cohort of private sector leaders who are thinking at that level because we made the wrong assumption that they had skills that they don't actually have either. As I say, they can mix the chemical and build a bridge, but they don't know how to run an economy such as this one that we have here in South Africa that is complex in a difficult environment that is actually global. So we need to put skills of leadership, competencies, even in that particular private sector. And then we can then step forward and say, but what are you as private sector actually doing? But the level of fear, lack of confidence, you you see a lot of our business leaders, even when we have to start a business elsewhere in Africa Mm. or in the US, we don't do particularly well, do we? Because we don't actually know how to operate in a global diverse environment. And these skills and diversity management are critical and we should stop treating them. We should stop treating them as compliance issues because the government wants us to do it. We should see the business opportunity. Yes. If you start giving opportunities to all these black people who've been excluded from economic participation, what does it mean? It can only make a standard bank to be five times its size. It mm-hmm. can only make every one of us to be much more richer and much more wealthier. Yet, even us as business people in the private sector, we still think that the issue of transformation, the issue of diversity is a grudge buy. And people don't really wash a rented car now, do they? So we need to give people those skills so that they can understand the challenges that we face in a complex environment. 100%. Dr. Mukoki, it's always a pleasure speaking to you uh, and broadening our depth of understanding and, of course, uh, the breadth of it too. Uh, Looking forward to touching base with you again soon. Thank you again, sir. Thank you so much and good night. Thanks. Bye. If you missed it live, catch the broadcast on kaya959.co.za.